Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. This podcast is a conversation between two creators, dissecting the craft and technique that goes into creating comics. Except for this episode. This is our first three-guest episode of Creators on Comics, featuring veterans of the show Stephen Call and Lyndon Redchenka, here to talk about their new book, Laundryman, a graphic novel about two mercenary monster hunters. And they'll be speaking to artist and writer Lucy Sullivan about Shelter Early Doors, a folk horror book set in late 60s London. Here's their conversation. Hi, my name is Stephen. I'm the artist and illustrator for The Laundryman. It's a book that's uh, as we speak right now on Kickstarter. Uh, it's a story about two monster, mer- mercenary monster hunters who work out of their laundromat, solving supernatural crimes and mysteries and cleaning up messes uh, all over. Uh, I, I make the book with my creative partner, Lyndon, and I'll, uh, I'll let him talk here. Uh, hello, my name is Lyndon Rachenka. Uh, I am a returning guest on this show, and I'm a comics writer and letterer for The Laundryman, among other things. Um, forgive me at the time of recording, it's eight in the morning, local time for me. So I'm going to try and trip over my words less than Steven does. Um, but I am so excited to talk to not Steven, our third guest here, um, who is the only person that could possibly get me out of bed for an 8am podcast recording. (laughs) And, uh, I will let her introduce herself now. (laughs) I'm flattered. Hi, I'm Lucy Sullivan. I'm a comics writer, artist, letterer, everything. I foolishly do it all myself. Um, And I'm here to talk about my new book, Shelter Early Doors, which is the first in a series of a London set folk horror um, based around the kind of Irish immigrant women of the area and their special skills. So... I loved The Laundry Man. I thought it was really, I sort of said in a message, it was great crack, which is Irish for, it was great fun. Because I'm sure you know what that means. But um, can you tell me a little bit about, before we go into kind of the full, actually, I was going to the premise because it's got this kind of like, I don't know, it's sort of like cop buddy. Well, they're more like x files but the downtrodden side where no one knows who they are and they're just kind of getting on with the job. What I loved is the fact that they have an actual laundry mat as well. I thought that was a really lovely thing. And when I read the bit where they're like, oh, we're here to clean up the mess. That's what my premise is for mine is those women who clean up all the messes. So tell me a little bit about how you guys came together on this. Um, well, Lyndon and I, we, we've known each other for a very long time. Um, I, at this point, it's got to be it's got to be 10 years or something like that by now. Uh, we were bartending together uh, at a local uh, chain restaurant here and just got to, you know, a lot of us behind the counter, like liked comic books. So we started talking about that a lot. And then um, over time, like Lyndon and I went off to uh, our uh, to San Diego Comic-Con where we shared our love for comics for a week. And uh, from there, I think shortly after that, we started talking about wanting to do comics, but I don't think we really did anything for another two years. Um, it was a lot of like, we should do it. We should really make the comic. And then we didn't. And then one day I came to Linden with an idea after it was doing a class here with uh, with our now friends, Gregory Kamichuk and Justin Curry. And uh, they were teaching it. And I got this like, this like boost. I was like, 
yeah, I want to make a freaking comic here. So, and then I went up to Lyndon, I gave him this idea and then uh, we didn't stop talking about it at that point until we had the entire story broken out. And that was our first book called Infinite Universe. So that's how we got together on comics. Laundryman came later. Uh, it was an, another idea. A couple of years later, after Infinite Universe was out, it was it was like uh, I had this idea that I wanted to do a story kind of based in our home city. Um, it, it's really not. The Laundryman isn't really based there, but that was where the idea came from. And it was... Um, about the 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 idea was like two guys who are cops in black suits not cops uh, investigators in black suits with cigarettes cool car um but they've got a uh, like an id badge for every three letter agency out there and like everybody just believes them they just walk on the scene they go cia and then they just walk through and and deal with it i just always thought that was a really cool concept because these guys could just exist on their own uh, and like the, the whole, the line is just that people believe them, uh, because it's just, wouldn't you believe someone who just walked up seeming important, showing you a badge and, and like, that's just kind of where that came from. I mean, I'm sure Lyndon can elaborate. Yeah. I mean, especially at a crime scene that you don't fully understand because there's something strange about it, right? You just, you just want someone to show up and take care of it so that you don't have to worry about it or think about it anymore. And so, uh, you actually hit on one of our, our comparables, Lucy, when you said it was kind of X-Files-y because we described the book as being this mix of um, Ghostbusters and X-Files and a little bit of Supernatural. Um, yeah, so yeah. It, uh, it always means a lot to, to us when people kind of pick up on them without us having to give the pitch. Yeah. Um, it's got that so, lovely kind of day-to-day about it. Like they're just getting on with it, even though there's these extraordinary things, they're having these everyday chats about it and I think that makes Mm. it really grounded and makes it more fun for it you know yeah yeah we really wanted to uh we didn't necessarily want to tell an origin story with the first volume we really wanted the book to feel lived in already and so we uh we did what we could to try and focus on the the character building rather than just sort of the you know bang bang action beats um which was something that I really enjoyed about your book also was how lived in it felt. Um, it was the the conversation was was great, and it felt like the world, um, you know, already existed. So I'd love to hear about how you go about how you go about um, building that effect in your own work. I think probably similarly, it's sort of I wanted to do something that was based in the part of London that I grew up in and where my dad comes from. So his family emigrated from Ireland. Um, to London to West London in the 50s and that's when we had these like no dogs no blacks no Irish signs Um, but this part of West London was like no no you can all come here and we had these really dodgy landlords that put everyone into like tiny flats my dad grew up in a two-bed flat he had six brothers of six sisters and a brother and they were all in one bed (laughs) you know so it's like really full-on kind of poverty But there was this enormous community and amongst that it was very matriarchal. So I grew up seeing these women around and they'd come in the pub and we had like, I grew up in a rock pub and we'd have the live music pub on one side and then a saloon bar on the other side and all the noise and happening was going on in this big noisy part. But actually, if you went into the small one where the women were, 
there were these really fascinating conversations going on. So I was small enough that I could hide behind the bar and <laughs> listen in on the old women talking. And it's just built out of that. So the women in the story, they're all sort of roughly based around kind of women I grew up with and then extrapolated and further invented. And I think it's the same that you're talking about in you set something in something you know, like your hometown and your own experiences, and then you can go as crazy as you want with the story because it's based in a lived experience and it's got that sort of kernel, kernel of truth that I think, like you said, makes it feel lived in. Like I really felt like the same with yours, you know, that whole going to a hometown that I've never been to and I could feel that vibe of what it's like to sort of drive back home and be like oh yeah there's that guy and oh and hi how's it going and I've got a friend who's from Winnipeg so I can't wait I want to show her it and see wow. if it will like ring any bells for her I mean she's been here a long time but she goes back frequently and yeah it's uh it'll be really interesting to see how she takes that on board as well well if anyone who's from Anyone else who's from Winnipeg who might be listening to this episode will be fully aware that, uh, you know, if you know someone in Winnipeg, there's a good chance that one of us also probably knows them because that just oh, seems yeah. to be how things yeah. work here. So yeah. when after after the show off uh, off hot mic, we can figure out exactly who your friend is without having <laughs> to reveal them publicly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, the weird thing actually, is, like, we're not a small city. Like, it's no, I mean, we're all a million people you can, still. You can find yeah. your way to somebody. Yeah, well, that is cities, though. Yeah. You sort of, there's always a degree of separation. You know, even in somewhere yeah. as populated as London, because it's not big. It's just got a lot of people. You will mm-hmm. find connections there's always like you're talking to someone you'll be like oh wow I went to school with that person or I think I was met them in a gig once or whatever mm-hmm. you know yeah now, so, so so I have this like love affair with um European countries and other cultures I just spent a year there I lived in France we visited the UK oh. we visited Ireland it's a beautiful it's so beautiful I had such a great time so I'm going to try not to I'm going to try not to focus on reliving my own travels and doing this but I saw when I was reading the book, and I'm going to get into a bit more of a like making of topic now than necessarily just the story. But it looked like you ran a crowdfunder. And did you get some additional funding also to produce this book? Yeah, yeah. So, well, the crowdfunder produced this one. Uh, so okay. Early Doors, I ran through Crowdfunder, which is the new Canadian uh, crowdfunding platform. And they're lovely. I sort of mm-hmm. got the hump with Kickstarter over the whole crypto thing they were going to do at one point. And I don't know how that went off over there, but in the UK, it like just destroyed the small press scene and everyone was arguing amongst themselves. And it was really, really awkward. And I just couldn't be asked <laughs> to deal with it. So yeah. I looked around for an alternative and crowdfunder are great because they're small enough that you know you could get to know David who's the president and you can chat to anyone and when there were problems I can just email David and go oh my money's not coming through and he's like great I'm on it two hours later money's in the bank you know um so I did that with that but I did uh funding whilst I was doing that I applied for Arts Council England funding so I looked at yours and you've got loads of like Winnipeg funding so I wonder if it's a similar kind of body with the Canadian so arts well, that's, that's like government money. And that's what I wanted to talk about too. Um, something that Stephen and I 
have been talking about a lot lately um, when talking about this book was that we received a significant amount of support for it from the Winnipeg Arts Council, the Manitoba Arts Council, and then uh, the sequel book that we're working on right now we got um, is, is funded by the Canadian Arts Council. Right. And so we, uh, in talking to people down in the United States, they have no real conception of what grant funding is. No. And so when I saw that uh, yours had received some also, I wondered if we could take a few minutes to talk about what that process looks like for you. We could talk mm-hmm. about what it looks like for us. And then that way, anyone who's listening to this um, this podcast, whether they're in Canada, or they're in the UK, or they're in the US, and they're just going to end up being very jealous, they can kind of have an idea of what that that looks like. Because I think it is such an important topic for creatives who are trying to produce work uh, to understand how the grant system works. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I, so in the UK, there's a few options. Um, there's a number of sort of bodies you can join. Like I'm with Society of Authors. So if you also write your work, you can apply to Society of Authors for grants. But Arts Council England. Hello, lovely cat. You guys can't see this very cute cat. Um, Arts Council England have sort of in the last few years got really into graphic novels as a as a medium. And I actually, this is my second grant. So my first one was for, I did an autobio barking, which was my debut about a mental health crisis I had in my 20s. And um, I, my publisher suggested I went through Arts Council to get funding for that. It was a crowdfunding publisher. So I had to raise all the money and it was like 13,000 pounds. So it's a lot of money. Uh, especially when I didn't have an audience but I did that and that was like a three-month process to fill out these forms and then it was big but it's they're one of two grants so you either do what they call a project grant which is part funded by the National Lottery here and that you have to have a publisher involved and you have to have partners so um, comic cons or something involved I had the Lakes International Comic Festival involved in that and you have to have public engagement so I had to do an exhibition and workshops and launch events whereas the one for shelter which is the one I'm on now is purely developmental so it's called the develop your creative practice grant and you can use it at any point in your career and it's about funding you to take a step into another path so I applied for shelter before I'd made the first book when it was still a concept I sort of had that 2am thing where you go all right, I'm going to crowdfund this, but how am I going to pay myself to make this thing? So I thought, I've got to get Arts Council. So I applied for this as, after Barking, I spent two years working um, primarily as an artist. So I did a bunch of collaborations and I built up a reputation as a comic artist, but I was getting lots of people approaching me going, I'd love you to draw my thing and I'd love you to draw this. And you're like, I write too, <laughs> you know, and they'll go, I read Barking. You're like, the one I wrote. Yes, that one, you know. So I thought I've got to establish myself as a writer again. So this money, this grant for me was to just spend a, a set amount of time just researching and writing and just really finding the craft in that because I'd put so much time into my art that I hadn't ever given enough to the writing side of it. So they're funding me for that. And then if I can get a publisher, I'll go on to the back to that project grant and try and get another grant to make 
the next part of the series. So it's really about answering questions. You know, you go on their websites, the PDFs are there that tell you all what they want to hear. And I don't know about if it's the same, but I imagine it is. It's all seen through um, a board. So you have to keep saying the same thing over and over again um, so that everyone around that table understands what you're trying to make. So for me, I made a point of connecting it to the fact that it's about a period of time in London, that it's about women's stories that aren't often heard about from that era, 60, late 60s and early 70s, and about the Irish immigration population and how I'd use that as a resource, research jumping point and go to, we've got like the British Library here, which is just astonishing for research. It's got like eight rooms and thousands and thousands of material and microfilms and pamphlets and stuff. So I'm doing it through that. Whereas the project grant is, that's three questions you got to answer and do a little essay about. The project grant is about 10 times as long as that, but it's just constantly reiterating public engagement, using kind of real, what I'd consider art school language. You know, you've got to talk about outcomes and visions and, you know, experimentation and all these kind of watchwords that they love but um yeah is it similar process for you or i mean it's yours actually sounds quite a bit different than than our than how ours works like okay. we do have like questions we have to answer um but so like in in canada at least for linda and i um i'm not sure how it varies from city to city and province to province but like we have uh three levels there's like winnipeg manitoba and Canada. So each one has its own council. Um, but for the most part, it, it's less a, uh, like a grilling or like a questioning of, of like every little aspect and how it relates and more of a, it's more of a pitching process. Um, so we, we come up with the idea of what we want to do and what we want the funding for. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in our case, we, we tend to say that it's for like our page rate for our wage to actually make the book. Yeah. Um, some people might say it's to print the book they already have, uh, but uh, uh, we, you fill out the, the grant application and you got to be thorough. You really got to, because what, what you're doing at that point is like pitching your book, your idea or your album or, or you know, whatever it is in our case, graphic novel. Um, and you're pitching that to the council. And, and then they're going to take that. They're going to look at the work you've done previously. They're going to look at the idea. Um, they're definitely going to consider like um, the, I guess the local effect of it. Like, is it, it, it does it, does it, you know, pertain to Winnipeg? Like, or uh, does it um, take into account like cultures in Canada and stuff like that, which that's not the make or break. Uh, that's mm. just another aspect that they're going to look into. Um but yeah, when you're when you're telling when you're talking there about like saying the same thing over and over again to like a different board and stuff like that, I was like, whoa, that's so completely different than than how but how it works for us. We have to yeah. do that too. We got to you got to do a budget and a timeline, and you've got to prove your mm. page rates, which is just so hard to do sometimes. I mean, I'm going off like an American page rate sometimes. From I think it's from 2017. I found online. You know, there's like you have to prove your page rate. Well, you've what got does to that sort mean? of justify the amount. So if you can show, we, we have that too. We have that yeah. too. You've got to sort um, of yeah. You can't just come up with a figure. You've got to go right. I'm saying I should get paid whatever uh, 300 quid a page because I've been paid it for this project or 
this is the standard rate if I was working at this. Company. Oh, okay. You know, so you've got I got you. Okay, so we do justify. Like yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. Often it's trying to do it so that we can come into into their budgeting scheme. Like for ours, the the develop your pra- practice one I'm on only goes up to like ten grand, and if you apply for the full amount, they get really suspicious. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> they think you haven't like really looked at your budget properly. So you're better to apply for about three quarters to a half of it and then really add a contingency. And it's a really kind of there's all these little secrets to how you do it that everyone talks about. But it is a it's a formula, I think. And you sounds very British formula. Yeah, it's very bureaucratic. Yeah. Very well-meaning. For Canadian, it's really, yeah. it's really hard for anyone to do because it's so. They've tried to make such an effort to involve everyone that it means that very few people can actually do it. You know, it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. You know, for Canadians out there, always apply for the maximum amount the grant offers. Yeah, always, it's because so if they don't to want go, to give it don't. to you, they'll give you less. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's I, stupid. But... I would say if there if there's like American listeners right now, like I I, I don't want to say that we're saying we're unique and you don't have something like this. I, I'm pretty sure I have heard that like like you just have you have to do the research, but there are like private like nonprofit organizations that yeah. do this kind of thing yeah, uh, that like will Iron fund Circus work, does it, don't they? They do a yeah. they do it like a creators grant, and there's the create uh, there is a creator fund. There's a number of things I think that happen in the states that mm-hmm. are more funded by publishers and stuff but they're not government mm-hmm. funded yeah yeah they, yeah i don't think there's much like maybe at the very local level there might be stuff for like small yeah. amounts of money but yeah yeah i know there's there's i'm sure there's private stuff out there that they can look into i mean um, i don't know about yeah, you guys but yeah. could you could you do the job without the funding do you need it to make it i can't imagine it any other way mm. like the comfort that we're able to like be in when we're making our books. Like I I get to sit here and draw for like, like, so I'll work four days out of the week and then I'll draw for three days out of the week. Um, And like to actually sit there and use that time and know that it's paid for is I I can't imagine any other way. Like I can't imagine. I don't, I don't think the money is the only motivator, but my gosh, it's helpful. So Yeah. 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 We're very spoiled. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, turning turning back to the the books themselves, Lucy. Um, again, for the the listener, it's Shelter Early Doors is the mm-hmm. title. Yeah, and uh, you will recognize it by the stunning art style um, <laughs> okay. that you have. Now, is this is it like? Are you doing this analog? Or yes, this, this can't be digital. No, it's not digital. Uh, so it's painted with watercolor, and then I. D- I mean, you can see that no one else can see, but I used carbon typewriter sheets, so you can see the black paper on my art walls. That, so it's like old style A4 sheets of carbon, and then I use. Is that how you do the lettering? Um, the lettering, some of it is also done with that, but um, that's the line art, and then the lettering. I did do. I did. So the lettering's typed. It's a font mostly. That's There's some hand. It's a font made by Dan Berry. Um, not to advertise the competition, but Dan does a really good podcast as well called Make It Then Telling Everybody. Um, but he also makes dip pens and creates fonts. And he made that font out of my handwriting. So 
I what? did. He sends you like a sheet of gobbledygook to write out. And I wrote it out with the dip pen and the carbon typewriter sheet. And then he scanned it really high. And then he makes it a typeable font. So I can just sling it into Photoshop or InDesign and type it out, which is, I, I mean, it saved me. He did it for barking. Yeah. I did you don't that. want my writing. <laughs> it's really good to get it. And quite a lot of the letterers will do that. They'll, they'll um, create. You know, I know uh, Hassan Otsmain Elhau, he does like um, font work and stuff like that. So there's quite a few people that will create you fonts. And it's so great to have one specifically for your style. Yeah. I think because I was reading this and I'm like, I'm like, like I could, I never even thought of it as a font because you can even see like the inconsistencies in the pen yeah. pressure and stuff and like good job like the buildup on the ink on the edges of the stroke with it thinner in the middle i was like oh that is so that's that's cool yeah Sorry, he did a great camera. job yeah. i am um, I, I really would not have been able to make it and the trouble with the carbon is it's quite light so when you scan it it's really bitty so he did a really good job of kind of um what's the vectorizing it so that it's got mm -hmm. just a little bit cleaner and it scales up really really well but it is my handwriting that he's built it from so it, i think it fits in because it's hard it, you must have this well so lyndon you letter as well as write right and then yeah. you're doing the drawing so do you talk about that or you know how does it work for you guys like do you hand over your art and just be like, oh, it's going to be cool. I trust Lyndon implicitly. <laughs> you know? I think it's like the other way around. So like we, we plan the whole story together. Um, yeah. uh, like most of the beats and like the, you know, the beginning, middle end, what, what who all the characters are. Uh, but Lyndon writes the script before I do the art. Um, and uh, we don't do like the Marvel method. Like Lyndon hands over a pretty tight script with like his interpretation of how the pages should be laid out and uh uh and and then i take that and do the art uh like i get a big kick out of like reading linden's writing and the emotions that the characters are feeling at the time what they're doing and translating that directly to the page but there are times where like i'll i'll read a page and i'll be like i think this can be done in more panels or, or less panels or mm -hmm. um sometimes it'll be like six five panel pages in a row and I'm three in, I've done all the combinations I can. And I'm like, okay, I got to change this up. So I'll, I'll kind of, I'll have to manually go in and like, okay, how can this be split up? And um, to my credit, I don't tell Lyndon any of that. That's but, right. And then I know, deal with it. To his credit, he sees when I, well, this is something I really like is when I make a change to a page and he gets the art back, there's no conversation that's had, but then he still manages to letter it exactly how, I've imagined the change um, oh, that's nice. in my head. So like where the bubbles are going to be as opposed to, it's just really cool. It's, yeah, it's really that's cool. That's really nice. Because uh, it's always hard, yeah. I think. Like when I collaborated with my friend Fraser Campbell, we did a book called Index together. And Fraser does these great scripts and I loved it. You know, it's really cinematic and I loved his um, vision for it. And he doesn't draw at all, but he has this wonderful kind of creative, thought process and it was the same thing it was only occasionally where I go I can't fit all that action into one thing I need another panel or but he so I went back at one point and I said there's a lot of speech in this page and there's a lot of detail 
um, do you think we could maybe bring down some of the speech because a lot of it's happening on the page and he's like yeah yeah sure and then it came back and there was more speech <laughs> and I was like and at this point I was lettering it and I thought I actually I can't I worked so hard on the page that I couldn't just plonk these letters like it was like can we get a letter in because I I just I worked so hard on something and just to cover it in speech is like I, I can't do it so we got um, Hassan in and he did a brilliant job and he, you know, just fitted it in in a way that I don't think I had the um, objectiveness to be able to do. You know, and I think when you're doing all that level of artwork, it's really hard to go, you know what, we have to put this here because we need to see. <laughs> we have to hear what these people yeah. are saying. We can't just look at their beautiful drawings. You know, there wasn't a point where it was like. It, it just it, it moved really beautifully and I think the speech and the art works really well and I was really I don't think I've come across a writer letterer before so I think that's really great that you guys can make that work so well together so it's, it's quite symbiotic so well and I think yeah that, over time um, I've gotten used to leaving or being okay with leaving empty space in the background because mm. it's like I'll be able to be like oh, I can move on from this panel because that's that's going to be all lettering so I'll do like a like a like a nice background like that but go ahead Lyndon yeah no I was just gonna say and I think that it uh more writers should understand how the lettering process works because then they'll stop writing so damn much um yeah. so I know I've when seen I go some of in, those pages <laughs> yeah yeah oh my gosh but yeah. um so I know for myself when I go in I really like that I'm lettering it for myself because it means that I can make all those adjustments to my script in the process I can see how much space I have wor to work with and I can um, go over and cut out sort of the redundant bits that Stephen has uh, has shown in the artwork so well. Um, and I think if more writers, you know, had that ability, then maybe they would be less verbose in yeah. all of their writing. And it's a really important, like for me, it's a big part of the edit stage is like putting the dialogue into the speech, into the balloons and thinking, actually I could say that smaller and then it will look better in the balloon and, and then it's more concise and you know and it's another step and I think a really important edit but you know yours is really punchy it's really easy to read and it feels really naturalistic the way they talk to each other like you can feel they've got this like well-worn relationship with each other they're very comfortable around each other and really quite caring even though they're in this extraordinary Sort of situation they've still got time to be like are you okay like oh I'm sorry to hear about that thing <laughs> you know and I really love that side of it and I think it's punchy because you know you're considering the the amount you're putting on the page and it's yeah it's got that beat to it so lovely stuff hey Lucy when I was reading uh Shelter I couldn't help but notice so your your panel lines obviously they're they're hand drawn or is that like a really cool automatic thing that you built as well no. no they they're hand-drawn yeah okay so, i don't know about you but i find it absolutely terrifying to have to draw straight into a panel can you do that like, uh i, I panels out and draw in or, yeah. Or... yeah i mean i i do um i'll erase what's on the outside i hide a lot of crimes like in laundromat it's all black gutters and black borders so mm. i just like throw the over top if you take that off, uh, the colors are all over the place. It's still there. Um, yeah. So do you wait? So you draw your images first, and then draw the borders around them. Yeah, I yeah, I do everything backwards. <laughs> what That's could so be cool. a one-step thing? I do in about eight. 
So I don't know what my problem is, but I always seem to yeah. find this really complicated way. But I can't, I just, I'm too messy. I can't just draw into a panel. And even if I taped it, I would probably end up ripping the tape off and oh. ripping the whole paper off. Well, I, so think it, I, do, I think it works anyway. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's something I did yeah. with barking. But what I do is I do the roughs in Photoshop and print off the digital. And then my greatest okay. purchase, which I, if you're working analog, I recommend. In fact, I saw Jeff Lemire had one of these, which is a large scale yeah. light boxes. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is what I'm doing. And I was doing a black camera for Jeff and I really wanted to get it right. So I was like, I'm going to buy, buy a light box. So I got the light box. I put my digitals on that and it's strong enough that you can see watercolor paper through it so the watercolor paper goes on and I can still see my roughs underneath and then I paint it oh. let it dry and put the line art over with the carbon because then then the carbon goes on it's a black sheet so I've got to be able to sort of see through that a little bit as well it's it's a mm -hmm. challenge but it's and then what I do it... I, I just sort of leave so I do it to scale the roughs are done to print scale but I just, when I print it off, I separate the panels slightly. So I've got space for the paint to bleed over. And then I pop mm. it into the page, oh. scale it down, and then I put the lines over. So I have a sheet of paper that I've drawn loads and loads of just lines on. And I will individually, the embarking, I put those on individually. But what I did with this is I got an A3 newspaper, a newsprint piece of paper, and I drew the carbon lines over roughs so I knew where they would roughly be. And the speech balloons, like a little speech tails, I did hand-drawn. And any kind of um, sound effects lettering was all hand-drawn as well with the carbon oh, wow. line art. So that's like, a, it's basically scanned in as a separate layer over the top. And then I clean out the artwork around it, So which takes yeah. way longer. You know, and I think it's definitely something I should sort out in terms of a a technique. I don't yeah. think it's very, what's the word, economical. And then I'm glad you said the word technique because I just want to drill down even more specific on uh, what page is this? So I think it's page, uh, there's some on page nine and there's some on page 10. You, you do this really cool thing where it's like a, one big panel but then to separate the moments in the scene it seems like you've just like i guess the audience can't see you've just like torn the panel a little bit you, it, the, oh, you know yeah. what i'm talking about yeah yeah so those, that's i thought that was I so put cool the lines in and it's just to give you a little breather so that you know that it, you're yeah. moving but i wanted that fluidity because it's been one drawing and it's just to sort of yeah break through it and just cut a little and so that's intentional that's yeah. not afterthought that's Oh, oh, it would have been so done. Cool. Let's see. I think there's that little tear, and it's just cool. I really think yeah, it's so cool. It was um, it was intentional for it to be two panels, but I definitely, uh -huh. when I'm drawing out the lines afterwards, it will go on a little kind of. I'll be like, oh, yeah. actually, it'd be really nice to feel that kind of yeah, yeah. that little because a tiny little tear just directed my eyes exactly how I was supposed to read those those speech oh, bubbles. Like I, I like was reading left to right. And then I hit that tear. I'm like, oh, I must have to go down now. And yeah, like, 
That's good. I, I just, it was awesome. Because <laughs> I think my lettering can be quite confusing at times. <laughs> and I've had a few people, I like it with barking because it was someone having a mental health breakdown. I intentionally made it really hard to read. It was like I, I didn't want it oh. to be easy. I wanted the lettering to be everywhere and you to have to just find your way in amongst that to know what it was like to have multiple kind of thoughts going on for someone and how confusing that would be but I feel like I got into a bit of a habit now where I'm like I'm going to make my reader really work on this <laughs> I don't think that's always necessarily a good idea so I'm glad to hear it's sort of helping a little bit <laughs> for you to know yeah. where to go because <laughs> cool. they're really yeah. and, you know and I think you've got this as well with they're both really kind of visually dense stories and it's quite hard to like get all that art going and get the lettering in and keep it kind of paced mm -hmm. you know uh, what I loved with yours yours is digital as well right or because <laughs> it's got that lovely loose line so what are you because you're managing to like do it digitally but it feels loose so I'm like is it digital I can't I couldn't figure out if it was like hand inked or just digital or what yeah it, it's digital it's I use um so nowadays I use an iPad and procreate to do uh all the art but the brush I'm using, especially for the ink, is like, it's like this. So like the the default brushes that you can add into Photoshop, they're by a company called Kyle Brush. A guy yeah, named Kyle Webster yeah. developed them. Yeah. And then like I, I got these this brush. It was a manga pack that he sold before he was like partnered with Photoshop. So that that brush has kind of followed me. And so I imported it into yeah. photo into Procreate and then it didn't work the same. So I had to go into procreate and tweak it and stuff. And, and now it's like, uh, it's, it's like this, it's, it's like a well-worn pencil for me. So it just like, really, it, yeah. I really enjoy using it. And yeah. It, and it can, and my style is like, it can be a little like hectic and loose. And I think that comes from just trying to get stuff done really fast, but it becomes this oh, uh, I like cohesive it. image. I it's got which, that yeah. Lovely. Yeah. It's got a lovely loose sketchy style to it. And I think I did a, one project in Procreate and found that I just fussed too much and I was tidying up too much and it was a real problem for me to be able to like zoom in to a pixel and clean it up <laughs> you know yeah and I'm always sort of yeah. trying to stop myself from fussing and I love that yeah constantly having to tell yourself style. to zoom out and be like it's, it's yeah. fine see right? it as a whole yeah see it as a page yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's beautifully loose you know and I think it gives it you know energy you know, if it's too clean, especially a story like this, you know, I think it's it's got lots going on and it needs that energy. It's, it rattles along beautifully with the language mm -hmm. and the art. It just keeps you engaged. There was, I read it, I had to read it twice because I sort of like sped through because you're just like, oh, God, what's happening next? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's got a real page turn <laughs> vibe to it. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. So now for both of you, it's. I feel like you're walking into the same trap that I'm potentially walking into where you have created a kind of an endless setup here. Like how big a project is this going to be? Cause you could just keep going. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those things where um, we currently uh, are developing, we're working on book two right now um, for the, for the listener, uh, the laundryman is structured in three issue arcs that make up a single volume. So, uh, Three 22-page uh, comics make up a book. Our first book right now is on Kickstarter. Um, we're funded and we're going to be printing it already. So it's we're taking pre-orders now rather than just support. Um, but the way we've structured it is that each volume or each three-issue arc 
stands can stand alone as sort of a case file, as it were. So you'll get a beginning, middle, and end of whatever the the current case the the guys are working on. And yeah, it's it's very much like almost like a monster of the week setup, which means that um, we are gifted with the ability to continue on with it sort of into the ether. However, uh, Stephen and I do have an idea of how the series will end. Mm. We do have that in mind already. We just don't know when we're going to get to that ending. Um, so the the idea is going to be to keep making the book for as long as we have readers who are willing to read it. Um, and as long as we can feel like we have fresh ideas and we're not sort of retreading the same stuff. Uh, but there will come a day where there will be an ending and we we already know um, sort of what that ending is going to look like. That's it really just may be the ending that we thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's interesting. But I guess it's because I have this when I'm doing Irish mythology with my book. And I'm, I recently brought in more of a Celtic mythology for the next book, which is going to include like Isle of Man and all these other sort of variants on it. And you suddenly go, oh, I've got this wealth of goddesses and monsters and that I can play with. And it's like, what do you bring in? What, like, how do you? choose or what drives you to find what monster that's going to be is it to do with the characters how they're going to come up against it or is it just that you read about something and think oh I'd love to do something with that mythology um it's a bit of both of those things so you know like you're I mean Lucy you're a storyteller too there are certain things where you make decisions based on what you need to, or what you want to happen in the story you sort of um, you let your the character needs drive the story that shapes around them. Mm -hmm. And then there are instances where you take the story, the, the setting that you want to tell, and you bring your characters into it and see how they respond. Mm -hmm. um, so I think like right now we've plotted up to the first, the end of the first three arcs. Um, and then you know, I think as we wrap up arc two and get into arc three, we'll look into what's the, where does the story build next? Like sort of where is the next, where does it feel like the next natural place for this to go? Um, you know, admittedly in a supernatural world, but um, it really is sort of reacting to how things develop in the, in the creation process and only sort of having like a guideline to follow because yeah. I th I've always thought it's important as a storyteller to have an idea of where you're going, but also be open to the things that you find along the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. And especially to allow the story to kind of develop itself in some ways. Like they often, when people are like, oh, how big is it going to be? And you're like, well, I don't know yet because I'm still making it and when I get to a point I'll be like oh it's a graphic novel or, oh it's a series and and it's as you're doing it you realize the scale of the thing but you know your characters are great company so they're people that you would happily just keep going with you know I'd like to discover a little bit more about their backgrounds and especially um so it's Wade and what was the Brian. other character Ryan Brian Brian, so Brian yeah. has got that kind of Constantine he's got that kind of like yeah whatever sort of vibe to him he's very yeah. mysterious in a lot of ways and I quite like you know I like that there's I don't know they've got that nice mix where one of them you feel like 
with Wade, you're like, oh, I get this guy, you know, he's sort of like, I like the fact that he was nervous about the smell of something in one of the panels. It's like, oh, what about the smell? And he's like, that's what I would be doing. Whereas the other guy's like, yeah, whatever. And they're, they're always smoking. And, you know, I think there's this really, you just don't see it very often, you know, especially these days. But I think they've got this nice kind of, there's this intriguing relationship that I'd like to know a little bit more about how they ended up together and hopefully that will come out in some later issues as it were but it's a really great series and so the kickstarter is on now right yeah i think um, by the time that this is airing it'll have about a week left for people to go and back it and we're, we've already funded so um at this point we're oh, reaching nice. stretch goals and we're trying to give people free stuff um so if you're a listener go check out the campaign um it's at laundryman.ca and uh, take a look at how things are going at that point. But yes, we're on Kickstarter. We're, we're live yeah. right now. Congrats on funding. It's always a kind of relief to get to that point. Have you, you've done this before though, right? You've done quite a few Kickstarters together or? We've been, uh, as the creators, we've been part of one other Kickstarter with uh, our host, our gracious host, Jordan Patrick Finn. Yeah. Um, that was for an anthology last year called Dead Work. Right. Uh, that was that was like my first experience with Kickstarter. I definitely wasn't in any form of like an admin position or anything like that. I think Lyndon yeah, was okay. number two on that on that uh, Kickstarter. But it was it was a good it was a good first experience to see you know how it works, how it drove our friend Zach Mad, Zach Schuster, uh, oh, also another yeah. comic creator who ran the Kickstarter. Um, I got to do a really He's cool story in there. Institutionalized, as it were. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, after just finishing another Kickstarter. <laughs> oh, so are you yeah. running? Who's are you both running this, or are you running it, Lyndon? Or because how do you? Um, that? We're both running it. I built it. If yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I did a Lyndon's like the, the de facto manager, but we both it, it often you know, goes to the writer. Yeah, I find that really yeah. interesting that the writer tends to, yeah. and I guess because the artist is. Doing, drawing yeah drawing yeah exactly yeah. people <laughs> think drawing. people think it's unintentional and automatic but uh it's for sure the artist like forcing the writer to do that kind of thing yeah. so yeah it's <laughs> no, definitely I'm busy. On purpose, I'm busy fully drawing. planned yeah you yeah. can yeah. do it yeah yeah, yeah. So a lot was, of the uh, i'm just drawing so <laughs> uh, the writers seem to be the ones that lead them here like i've worked with jordan um thomas we did this i uh, did metallic dan and white recently which was on kickstarter and that was one of his anthologies and he approaches lots of different artists so it's his thing to then have to run it as it were i gotta say it's it's really cool uh, the partnership Lennon and i have like it, it initially was like i'm i'm drawing Lennon's written a script and then it was Lennon going well what the heck else do i do um and then so that's when he started lettering uh, but oh. then like it, it's gotten to a point where like I swear like between what he does and what I do is, is based specifically with our stuff we put equal hours into this kind of thing like mm. like he's he's always always like cold calling and 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 like I don't know if cold calling is the right term for this but he, he's always like trying to expand our reach and like throwing stuff I mean he's like tweet this or do that or, or and, and like um, it, it's just really cool and like I can't imagine doing i can't imagine doing what you're doing uh, being the artist writer letterer manager and everything i, I don't recommend I feel it. like <laughs> i yeah i feel like i could figure it out if i had to but like i work a full-time job as well so it's yeah. like 
it, your brain it's explode. like the grant thing i can't imagine doing this without linden i can't imagine doing this without the grant funding it's no. like this perfect thing that has just happened and it's hard i, I, I think it's awesome. i mean mine's it's my full-time job is making comics and i do some teaching around it and mentoring um, but, but notice lucy this is how this is how i ingrain myself in the process because as we both know as an artist you are a living proof that artists don't need writers so you, like oh, Stephen, yeah. he could do that himself. Um, yeah. But if I'm here making myself quote unquote invaluable, <laughs> it will take him longer to realize that he doesn't actually need yeah. me as much as I need him. <laughs> See, I, I look at I look at it more as rock climbers. We're tied yeah. together. And if yeah. one of us goes, we both go like that. Yeah. That's how I look at it. Like until you cut the cord, though, get up. <laughs> Yeah, but if you if I cut if yeah, but if I cut the then cord, stuck up a mountain. You, go, then you keep going. Yeah, then I fall and there's nothing to to counterbalance. Have me. you ever played so, Unravel, which is like the little oh the, the two the little yarn people. people? Yeah, and they they're connected. I have to play it with my daughter, and we have to work together to get over everything. Mm -hmm. It's like totally cooperative, and I do think it's like ice that. climbers. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think. Yeah. Especially with yours, it works so beautifully together, you know, and it's, when you get those kind of teams where you can see it's just clicking, then, you know, that's when comics works really well. You know, I'm just too much of an egoist to fully, <laughs> like, I just control freak. I just have to do everything. And I think my problem is coming from animation and being an animation director and being like, I'm going to write it and draw it, and you know, color it, everything except voice it. So, you know, I would recommend being in a team. It's much nicer, and especially crowdfunding, because it's brutal on your own. You know, it's, oh, it's a really full on process. And I enjoyed it a lot more when I did it with my friend Fraser. And, and he was like, he was the writer and he ran <clears throat> the campaign, but we both kind of promoted and worked on, mm -hmm. on, the, on the Kickstarter together. And it was, it was fun. You know, but doing like a month on my own was just hard yards. Yeah, yeah, it's a real yeah. grind. Um, you know, it's a great one because it allows you to make your work, but it's not one that I would heartily recommend to people. Yeah, I definitely burnt out at the end of this one and it's sort of slowly kind of coming back. And the idea of running another one at the moment is like I'm just running away yeah. from big time. <laughs> Yeah, I've done more yeah. social media in the last couple of weeks than I have my entire life. And, you know, yeah, and it's, it's not like that's yeah. easy anymore because the algorithms are making it really hard to get anything out with a link. And, you know, as someone told me ages yeah. ago, if you put in on Instagram, you put in a hashtag for crowdfunding and even Kickstarter, it like drops you down the algorithm. And, you know, you've just got to be so canny all the time about yeah. how you're putting it out. It's tough you know so it's great that you're it's almost funded. like you're it's almost like you're so your job in social media is to like crystallize the circle that you built before the algorithm even happens mm -hmm. it's almost yeah. like, it's like you said you throw certain hashtags on and it bumps you down so you don't yeah. even put hashtags on you just hope yeah. people like it enough that it maybe bumps it up one of the the rungs so to say so yeah it's yeah, it, it, you just want to, it's almost like you want to just make sure everybody who knows you might tell one more person, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and at the friend, end of this, sorry. I was at the end of this campaign, um, after incessantly spamming people on social media for the better part of six weeks, um, I might just turn it off yeah, for a month and, re yeah. and reward them. You don't have to hear from me now. 
for yeah. another six weeks. I'm going Until back the into launch. the cave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I did. I left them alone over Christmas. And then it was like, hey, I've got an exhibition and a launch coming up. Guess what I'm going to talk about again? <laughs> yeah, maybe our and next post that's... will be like our table at Calgary Expo or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you, are you doing cons and stuff this year? Have you got things lined up? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be traveling uh, across Canada. We're doing, we have a handful of uh, Canadian shows, um, though I would love to come visit Thought Bubble either next year or the year after. Yeah, Thought Bubble's amazing. It's basically the, the sort of UK scene's Christmas party, and we all just hang out at a hotel called Majestic, and everyone's there, people that table, people that are guests, people that are just coming along to buy comics, and it's just wonderful. It is a singularly unique weekend and so friendly so much fun you will drink sounds a lot awesome. <laughs> you know? so sounds awesome you end up like That's midnight great. talking to someone in the majestic bar toilets because it's a really weird thing but they've got these amazing men's toilets that are just like a ballroom so everyone goes down the and best toilet taken <laughs> it's just wild as there last year on a bench with like liana kangas uh, who else was there? Rachel Stott, and we're all like holding champagne and taking pictures in the men's loose. <laughs> just like, there's no con like this. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, it's a lot of fun, but it's also just really beautifully run, and yeah, it's a great weekend. So please come. Okay, yeah, we're gonna yeah. make it there. Lucy, th- thank you so much for talking to us. This is uh, this has been awesome, and we talked a lot about the art style and like, and like, like my loose style and stuff, but like reading yours and like it, 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 the hectic nature of it, like really like in, in instilled the emotion that I feel like I was supposed to be feeling while, while reading this, especially in like the bars and stuff where it was very crowded. I, it just, the art really conveyed. I felt what I felt I was supposed to feel. And, and, and it was really cool. Thank, thank you so much for making it. it it's oh, amazing. Thank you. That's yeah. a wonderful compliment. <laughs> Yeah, this has been a, a great chat and reading Shelter, Early Doors, uh, I really had this sense of, um, you know, comics is often considered in, in the US or for the longest time it's been considered sort of like a lowbrow form of art. Mm-hmm. And uh, your work is the complete opposite of that. And uh, such a great example of what I loved so much about uh, the comic culture over in the UK and in Europe with the, the French bande dessinée mm. and the sort of range of subjects that the medium can really convey that I really find it feels like we're missing out so much on here um, in, in the US and Canada. So it was such a treat to read something, you know, that made me feel like it was smarter than I was. <laughs> and that I was too, you know, too, too not smart enough to, to fully grasp or to, to ever fully comprehend. Um, so it was such a piece of, of art. So um, oh, this is, it's been so nice to talk to you. I really appreciate that. You should get here because I think um, I love the laundry event. I think it's great, great fun. And I love a good read that I'm just enjoying. But what it's got as well is a lot of heart. And I think that's what's going to see it as having a really, you know, long life. If you can keep writing these characters that you just want to hang out with and find out more about, that's always great. And a bit of monster who doesn't like that in the mix, right? But it's a really good story. And I love the kind of, it's really nice to talk to other people that are sort of setting it in where they come from and understanding the importance of just like 
I love that kind of what I talk about with shelters, like a mundane setting where extraordinary things happen. You know, it's like for me, that's the fun of things like Buffy and, you know, you just take a little town and then these crazy things can happen within it. And I think, you know, that's my favourite. I don't know if it's a genre, but it's my favourite thing that you can be somewhere that feels ordinary, but there's these really supernatural things happening. So I think it's a great series and I am really looking forward to keep on supporting it and being a part of it you should bring it over here though you've got to come over for the cons here because I think it would do really well over here and the small press community here is lovely you'd, you'd really enjoy it and you can well, get we're gonna have to fan at the same time you know? we're gonna have to start reaching out to uh some UK presses then yeah so you should do. we can get some some international rights going anything I can do to help please let me know Thank you to Stephen, Lyndon, and Lucy for joining us for this discussion. The Laundryman is live on Kickstarter at laundryman.ca, and you can get another comic for free from Stephen and Lyndon at infinitestudio.ca. Shelter Early Doors can be found at lucysullivanuk.com, and Lucy's on Instagram, Mastodon, and Twitter at lucysullivanuk. As always, links will be in the episode description. Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music, and Patrick Hart for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creators on Comics Podcast. <laughs>